0: It's time for a change strap your headphones on and join Chris Scott and Sean three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs
1: as they face the tough subjects including police brutality racial tension rioting and more Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is is a show about opening a dialogue, accepting that
2: something has to be done, and bringing communities communities together together again. again. And now your
3: hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean.
2: Before we get, again, too far into this, I knew it was going to be like this. It was going to be too easy for these stories. Let me just introduce uh, the show. This is really episode one of the show. Uh, this is Three Cops Talk. I'm the non-cop of the group. Uh, I will not be here forever. I'm here to uh, assimilate these gentlemen here uh, into this little world of technology. And um, I'm sitting here uh, with three career police officers that I think uh, the, the concept of this show that you're listening to um, is to just have a, uh, have a dialogue and, and kind of hear a bit about what it's like for your world to be here. Um, and you know, I, I think a lot of people, honestly, when you see a cop like in the in McDonald's, I always have all these questions I want to ask them, all this cool stuff. I remember being a kid and watching um, the Chips intro. We were always psyched when we saw the gun. Right. I was like, oh there's the gun. It was cool. In fact. I almost got pulled over by a motorcycle cop in California, and I was almost psyched about it. I was going to be like, dude, this wow. is so cool. <laughs> wow. I got pulled over by yeah. this chop. Anyway, um, let me introduce you to these kids here in front of me. Uh, to my left is uh, Mr. Chris Sherwin, who is a, a canine officer with his partner Max. Uh, right in front of me is Sh- Scott Thorson, who is a sergeant, and these guys are all outside of Chicago. And then to my right is Sean Ferguson, Who's a, a SWAT officer and uh, does a lot of training with that group? And what I'd like to uh, start first is love to find out, like what the um, what the origin story, Scott. If you could tell me the origin story of a guy who no one in high school thought would ever become a police officer, uh, how did that happen for you?
0: Uh, so I don't have any. I don't have any law enforcement in my background at all uh, family members anything along those lines it actually just turned out that when I was in college um, uh, a friend of mine from college uh, actually linked me up with a summer job which was supposed to be working um, just for a park district and I was supposed to just be a a college kid in the summertime that was going to be emptying garbage cans and driving around the parks and doing that kind of stuff but instead big ambition uh, (laughs) right 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 what every college kid hopes to do in the summertime and what happened was that was actually not available and there was an opportunity to work with a park district police department and it was just as a they called it a park ranger it wasn't really it wasn't a law enforcement job per se but it was just kind of patrolling park areas and things and reporting to those police officers and a lot of those officers that did that job either were veteran officers that had retired or had had other careers in law enforcement so they had a lot of experience a lot of stories which got me interested in that kind of stuff and where I was going to college I decided well you know when I go back in the fall I'm going to actually maybe take some criminal justice classes and sure enough I got interested in it and it worked out and um wound up getting a degree in criminal justice and law enforcement they call it and um you know, four or five years. I worked a couple other jobs when I got out of college before that, but then I started testing with police departments and ended up where I am here today.
2: Was it always in your your, <laughs> in your mind when you were in college? Like, were you starting to follow along and kind of, you know, were you interested in the... Uh in the the tactical side, did you get into um, guns? Like what was I the would, thing for I you? was
0: probably not somebody that was acting like that in college initially, honestly. <laughs> um, maybe Too busy maybe, doing maybe, maybe, maybe quite the opposite, <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <Duttying. laughs> um, but it just kind of it was actually that job and some of the people that I met and some of these veteran old timer kind of cops that I got to know and be friends with and just had some real honest stories and I would ride along with them sometimes at my job in the summertime like if they were available I could do that and so getting to know them and just seeing some of their interactions with people I always felt like I was good with interacting with people and then just that job for whatever it was kind of just turned a corner for me and I went back and started doing that stuff and then I actually got really kind of really focused on what it was that I wanted to do so I kind of knew coming out of college Then at that point that that's that's where I was looking to go
2: could you identify Maybe not the moment, but the the reason why you wanted to become a police officer.
0: Wow, um, you know, I it was it was seeing how I, the the place where I did this when I was working this summer job was a town that has good areas and bad areas, and a lot of the times that I was doing that, um, I'd wind up kind of traveling through some of those bad areas and I would see cops have good interactions with people Mm. in those areas and so I kind of thought hey you know it's you're seeing people that are a lot of times at their worst you know they're having problems whether it's immediate or it's a ongoing life problem type thing and I don't know it was just seeing how they dealt with those people and could sometimes kind of turn people around in those situations and it was something that drew me to it through that job,
3: so there
2: was something of uh, uh, like an innate helpfulness that you yes. saw that you could actually contribute. Absolutely. Did you want to be a cop in your own town, or did it matter that much?
0: Um, well, initially, I mean, I had some friends that were cops in big cities and smaller agencies, and actually, I initially thought I wanted to maybe go do big city police. You know, be a cop in a big city somewhere. Um, it, my wife was kind of involved in that procedure as well, so we had a lot of discussions about that and what what it was going to do. And um, you know, I wound up in a suburb that was a place that felt comfortable, and I liked working there, and I liked the people. And a big part of it was opportunities too. A lot of times, when depending on what departments that you work at or where you go, some have more opportunities than others. Um, I looked at a smaller department where I knew some people there, and I probably would have had just as good of a career there, but it was just maybe not a, an agency where I would have had the same kind of opportunities like I would have as where I ended up.
2: Right on. So um, so do people call you Ferg? Is they that do. a thing yes. they do? Yes, they do. So you came from the military first. Yes, what, what branch of the military were you in? I was in, in? the Army. You were in the Army. And what did you do in the Army?
3: Um, I was uh, an officer. I got my commission. I went to the Citadel, and... Um, I wanted to enlist before I went to college. My father would have nothing to do with that, and he said, you know, you want to go to college because you know, he was a guy that was of the era of the 60s in Vietnam and things like that. So You
2: wanted you to have nothing to do yeah, with that. Yeah, he was well. just afraid. What, what era was this that you, that you joined
3: I joined the army in 1990. Obviously. Oh, God. So, right
2: when Iraq started.
3: Uh, right. The first yeah. Gulf War. Right. I mean, yeah. was like, I was like, ah, oh, we haven't done anything other than point fingers at each other in the Cold War for, you know, 50 years. Uh, I wonder what it'll be like. And then, you know, crack right off. You All of a sudden, you're in the desert. Yeah. yeah ah, so Saddam so Hussein just got a little active and <laughs> decided to annex, you know, Kuwait. So, oh, I guess I'm I, I get just going to, go. to get my college paper. Right. Oh, my God. And it didn't even do that for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I always wanted to kind of do something beyond that. So, uh, the military was great for me. I really enjoyed it. I got to see the world. It's like I used to say to people, like the thing cool about the military is like to get to see what I had to see. I had to be like a Rhodes Scholar, an academic, and that was not a part of my world. Um, so you mean like uh, travel wise, right? Absolutely, or, right, like right. to go live in Germany for four years, and right? Kind of being the barracks that you know were once housed by Nazi soldiers and things like that. You don't get to do that normally. And I got out, and at the time they weren't really paying well in the police world. My brother, who has been a huge influence in my life in so many levels was down in Raleigh in North Carolina and we were originally from Jersey and then my parents moved out to the Chicago area and I'm like, Oh, well, what am I going to do when I get out? And he's like, come down here and be a cop. And I was like, man, I make more as a lieutenant doing that. Um, so right. I decided to come to the business world, which was offering a lot of money cause I f- settled in logistics and, uh, I went and did logistics and I hated it. I mean, it just, it was awful. I mean, it, I get good people, good things like that. But the bottom line, it was just not a fit for me to come around was lost on me and it's very cutthroat. I was, Four different companies in four different years, and everybody offers you more money. And what they tell you is that they'll call you on any given occasion to make sure somebody's got a hot water heater up in Duluth or something like that. And you know, I thought, well, I got to do more than this. And there were some things happening in my life transitionally that were, you know, most cops do it after they become cops. I got divorced before I came a cop, right? And uh, as a kid, now it's just a great right. relationship. That's why right. I decided. <laughs> so, so I knocked yeah. that all out then, <laughs> and uh, I always wanted to do it since I was a little kid, and uh, it was. Something I was always interested. I have family members that were, but we're Irish, so we don't really know each other. I mean, even though like they grew up in a tiny little house. Barry the boy, Barry the boy. (laughs) (laughs) My uh, my uncle was a Jersey State trooper, and he uh, he was in at a time that's kind of similar to this, and uh, he became a pilot, the first pilot for it. And I had another cousin that was in a local uh the town that we grew up in and went to high school in um he was that what what city it was uh, it's a a little town called south amboy is where our mailing address but the town we all went to school in was sarahville um and it was you know right outside the city new york city not chicago um and uh it was uh, something that for a while i always wanted to do and then finally got to do it and when i was 33 i decided to find, hey, this is it. I'm doing it. And I can only live in my parents' house for so long. Um, and I finally <laughs> moved out, and my life changed. And so a lot of great things have happened since. It's a tough gig at times, but it's definitely worth it.
2: How long have you been in now? 20 years. 20 years, 20 years after. Yeah. Were you uh, wacky at all coming out of
3: the military? Um, yeah. Did you have some time uh, Yeah. To yes, uh, decompression <laughs> to was a key. Like, you look back at some of the things you saw, and like when you're young and you're there and you're doing it, even in the you know, that, that first Gulf War, which was actually mild by a lot of standards, Sure, um, you know, you're seeing things that you you, know, you only read about and didn't read about in a level of, like, how it would affect you, so when I got out, I was a little, you know, there's a scene from The Hurt Locker, I remember watching it in a theater, and I almost, like, lost it, mm. because he, when he's, he's back from the war, and it was, the rest of the film, I was kind of like, this is contrite, and a lot of stuff is, like, very unrealistic, but... When I watched him in that cereal aisle, I was like, "Oh, that was so it." Like, mm. she, Catherine Bigelow, did a great job of capturing the moment of like, what, You're what out. was the scene? Like, was, he, he... was like he's trying to make a decision? Like, his whole life was like, "Cut the red line <laughs> or cut the green line, and I won't blow up." Um, but now I go to the grocery store and I have seventy thousand choices of cereal for my kid, right. and I'm probably going to get in bigger trouble for that. You know what I mean? Right. And it was like the whole idea about I got to go back to something like that, and that's what the police world was for me at the time. I,
2: you needed some structure, right. and you didn't and have just it. just the
3: camaraderie and just the idea of that. I mean, it was what drew me back, and I decided, well, I'll try anything. I tried the feds. I tried Chicago. I tried, you know, the areas in Chicago, Unfortunately for me, uh, based upon where I fell on the list, I ended up, you know, going with what I went with, and it was, it's been great since. It's really been a great opportunity. Cool,
2: and what about you? you, you uh, Chris, you've had this, uh, it's, I think it's really cool, the diversity of all of you because you all have very different roles within the the police force and you're K9 yes. you're a trainer mm-hmm. you're a sergeant like right. so it's got a really interesting so i mean did you love dogs what was the you know what was your origin story yes yeah, sure. for me
1: yeah for me i've always liked always loved dogs and as far as being the cop i wanted to be a cop ever since i was a kid but i came i grew up in a city and i came from a predominantly polish Background and your the whole idea was you make as much money as you possibly can. That was what was everything was was revolved on. So I did the traditional high school, college, um, and then I was a chief, chief financial officer for a company. And then one day we had a call where it was a domestic battery actually in the facility, and I saw the cops come in, handle their business, and be out. And what does that mean, handle their business? So, well, they came in and arrested the, the, the suspect, um, handled handled it pr- appropriately. And uh, from that day forward, I'm like, at that point, I was like, I'm going to do that because I want intermi- to intermix the, my love for dogs and police work. Hmm. So that was my biggest decision. And uh, again, I was like, Sean, I was wait. I was 33 when we got in. Um, okay. yeah. yeah, We were, we were older. Old guys. Sold, yeah. Um, but and then. Here we are. All we all went to the same class. Uh, really? Uh, yep. All we've all been class. friends for twenty, 20 years. 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 Right. Same wow. academy. Same okay. day one, academy class. class. Yeah. Same starting yeah. date. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So and then, then we all just kind of took our different paths. You know, we started on patrol. and We all kind of just started following our dreams within the police world. You know, SWAT, then narcotics, canine. Right. And uh, it's just all diverse.
2: And here we are, twenty years later. Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. The the when I think of of, of the evolution of police work i mean i feel like between the 60s and i don't know the 80s it was pretty similar you know i can think of the guy walking down the street with the the baton right. and you know his name and right. you know that's bob the cop right and then i don't know was it the 90s when things started getting a little rough and and just really in the last 10 years it feels like things have gotten way more complicated i think maybe because of what you alluded to before which was um uh, uh you get a new device or a new tactic and at the beginning it's effective and then the lawyers get involved and the community gets involved and it sort of or or the bad guys figure out how to beat it and then it loses its effectiveness yeah, like it, the like it, the taser and
3: some of that too is that you know cops are humans and make mistakes with devices and they think it saves everything and they lean on it a little too much and then that tactic gets basically worn out you know it's like a football team that has a good technique and like oh this is their sure you know the defensive coordinator whatever, figures yeah, right? it out, figures, and it out yeah. Somebody yeah. figures it out and then it's all right we got to adapt and those that don't adapt you know don't survive and struggle with it and lose a lot of fans in the process and i think some of that's currently happening you know, in the 60s you had a lot of guys again that that left the left the war you know yeah and and and, and they weren't treated in a lot of ways very respectfully when they came back and they thought that they were doing what was right and they were like, well, what can I do that's kind of similar? And some of the tactics and techniques and the nastiness of that war and things like that and what they came home to probably drove the way that our business is still affected by that. Mm. Like tactics and techniques we still learn or practiced 40 years later that were, you know, brought about like in the early 70s. And you're talking that's largely a lot of post-Vietnam uh, veterans that came and really made a big impact in the profession, but at the same time took some probably some things with them, like the idea you didn't talk about what your problems were, right? And you didn't sure. cope with it effectively, which is something we're also seeing in the profession that's taking a lot of guys um, because we don't talk about, right? We don't talk lot, about a lot experience of experience. domestic right. battery, a lot of violence, right. yep. and, a lot of and, and alcohol, and, uh, abuse. suicide yep. Yep. within yep. the police yep. ranks
2: yep. Right. Yep. Right. because you don't talk about anything, and, and that's why w- one of the things is when you have
1: the, th- you know, you come to work and you you're with two or three people that you've been with for 20 years those are probably more the guys that you lean on because you know you know that you're there and you kind of see that in a small spectrum but even that like we've been through a lot of stuff together and um you know it's still hard to it's still hard to talk about what you've seen what you did what you go through and we've been through doors and blood and guts and all that stuff together and you still just you're apprehensive about talking about that
2: are they better as a uh uh, as a uh, uh, an entity the, the police force as an entity at having the officers address some of the stuff that you see on a day-to-day basis like are, do they are they conscious if you get in a a shooting or you see oh, a murder eb- or absolutely. something like that and i
0: mean we we have come a long way in how like our own mental health you're always dealing with other people and we're expected to just see some terrible things that we see and, hey, just go back to doing the next thing hey, right after work. that. I mean, just some go. awful things that you see over the over the course of your career. And I think police work general in general has, I know our agency has, that we've come a long way in making sure our own people, their their mental health is, is good and they have the resources that they need and peer support and all these different kinds of things. Because if you're constantly dealing with this kind of stuff and you don't have any other good outlet, for it or anybody to talk to about it or anything along those lines, then it just comes home with you, and then it's yeah. Then those those problems just spill over onto your family, and and we've probably all been guilty of it at some point. You know, I mean, it's just part I can't of see it's, any way right, you couldn't be. I mean, it's just part of it's just how you and as you mature and you know, here we are, twenty years in, and everything, and we've we've been on some significant things together that you you know you you think about it now and you're like, wow, that was. Right. That was amazing. As and a human you, being, right. I can't believe I, right. I, I right. witnessed that. Right. Or, and I think right. one of the
1: things our department did, like over the last, it, it's, it's not even so much when you do a debrief. Like after something happens, you kind of all sit in a room and you debrief and they bring social workers and stuff like that. I think that has that helped. But I also think what they've done is they've helped bring it to the forefront that it's okay. So I may not talk in that room. But I'll call Sean or Scott later that night, right? And right. say what the, right. what just right. happened, you know. So I think it's more they brought it more to the forefront that it's okay. It doesn't have to be here and debrief, but it's okay if you call and talk to somebody instead of go, you know, consume you know alcohol in large quantities and stuff. It's okay to do that,
2: right? In the NFL, they have you know CTE is what's come out in the last few years, which is this cumulative effect of not like just getting one major concussion, but it's like the offensive lineman that hit every single play right. a little bit right. and then after 15 years their brain is gone like right. and you know they turn 50 and they get suicidal or they get violent or whatever right. and it's because this thing has happened I'm curious about like if you guys can think of a, a um, a, cumul- a cumulative effect of some of this stuff that you at some point said holy crap I didn't even realize I was doing this but I have to fix this I, I sort of see you Ferg yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Saying yes to that because you had military first Yeah, and one of the
3: things that, like, it was cumulative for me because it was from two worlds. Like, when you're young and you have no reference points to things, you just assume, like, well, this is what people do in war. And you think it's only for war. And then I became a cop. And I was like, oh, my God. This is, like, you. the thing about the military, like, the way I viewed it was, I'm going places, other places, where there are not a lot of Americans, and we kind of stabilize that region. We see, like, this is not America. We're trying to bring more, whatever you'd say about American it. American like, values yeah, right or there, whatever. whatever. I mean, whether that's right or wrong or not, there's something that stabilized where these folks live and things like that. And you can kind of, like, get your arms around it a little bit. Like, uh, okay, I can come to peace with the fact that I saw a dead kid that was killed, you know, this way or that way. Right. But then you come home, and this is the neighborhood that you live in, and you see, like, this person, you're like hey, yeah, I could have seen that person at the grocery store and, you know, they slaughtered their kids in their own right. house and, like, you stand in the middle of that and uh, one of the first calls I was ever on, I was new and it was like a rite of passage, like, we found a woman that had hung herself mm. and her family found her and her 15-year-old son had found her and I had to remain in the basement where she had done it and listen to the family deal with it mm. while they were waiting for the coroner and the detectives and thing to show up and I was just like, Oh, uh, this is what they were talking about. This is the stuff that they warned you about that. You know, you just do the work, get through it, and then it builds and builds and builds. And at a certain point, you're, you've are got to find guys. Like, these guys were in my life to talk to about this stuff. You know, like, I mean, they could understand it. Because, like, my wife's a cop, or used to be a cop, and I can call him and talk to her about it, and I'm, I have that luxury. These guys might not. And I right. know a lot of guys that are like, their spouses are like, and Galveston, I matter now. They're like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to hear it. And it's like, this is the way I have to release this. I can't cry right. in front of my friends. I have to get this out of me now. Right. And if I don't, and I don't have this at home, I have it nowhere and there's nowhere to turn. And you come in the next day. like You could be involved in an officer-involved shooting and you get at least two weeks off. You see the effects of an officer-involved shooting. You're up back at work potentially the next day. You know, mm. something similar to that, and we've all been on those calls, right. like suicides, you know, all of those things that you see, uh, murders that, you know, well, nothing happens in this town, and you're of the effect of, like, well, it's just what I do, and but you don't realize how much it's chipping away at you at the time, and everybody's got something that they find right. that bugs the them. The thing I've
0: noticed over the years is that when we started, I was in my mid-20s, and I was married, but, um, you know, just starting a starting a family and everything, so you... You start this job and you think, oh, man, I'm out of the academy. I'm gung-ho. I'm going to get out there. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna take everybody to jail and this, and that, and the other thing. But then as you move through this career like you do as an adult in any job or anything and you have kids and you have a family and all those things that come along with it, you start to gain more maturity and you start to understand some of these situations that maybe you were, as a brand-new officer, you're at somebody's house or you're handling something and you're thinking – Hey listen, I don't have time to listen to all these problems kind of thing. But then you get 5, 10, 15, 20 years right. older and now you're at people's houses and you're thinking to yourself, "Wow, you could like we could be having this discussion at my house maybe right. sometimes, you know what I mean? It's it you 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 develop a much better appreciation for what people go through every day and their situations, especially the people that we have contact with more than once or, you know, on a semi-regular basis and you, you start to understand whether they're struggling with mental health or substance abuse or any of those types of things, I guess you just develop a better appreciation of it over time, and you you see things that happen to young kids or the things that they get involved in, drugs, things like that, and then you have your own kids, and you're thinking, holy cow, I'm right. Right. so you, glad. You that can totally my, see, though, I mean, how it could happen.
3: You can see something that has no yeah. effect on you, and you have that reference in your life, and now it destroys you. Um, right. I, right. You know, right. That, that, that's exactly, you see a dead kid and you're like, well, it's, it's sad, but then you have your own. Right. Who's you're the same age right? or the, the same thing? The first same time situation. you hold your child, you're like, oh, this is what they meant by being in right. love. You know what I mean? Like right. your child is a totally different standard. And then you see that. And then I think that's something that our profession needs to be better at about when we're dealing with the public of this is somebody's kid. Right. Whether they right. wanted this kid in this position or whether they're even in their kid's life, we're still that next best thing for that person and we got to get better as a profession in understanding those reference points. It's a young person's game, though. You come into this where most people get hired. We, we were old when we got hired. We had a lot of life experience. Chris and I. You guys were old. But <laughs> we were old. Scott wasn't. Um, but he was very mature for his age, I must say. Right, right. Um, but the idea of that is that you you come in, and you don't have a lot of reference points. It's tough to be in a domestic. Sure, try you're to a be kid. Like, yeah,
2: you haven't like, lived well, enough life like,
1: to, to figure it right. out. And I think for me, One of the things that um, my family um, was uh, CPD from Chicago. And one of the things that one of my cousins told me going in is that. Well, I'm sorry. What's CPD? Chicago. Chicago? Okay. Chicago, So a lot of my cousins were there. And one of the things that one of my cousins told me once is that. um, And he actually gave me a sticky note. It said that there are innocent people in every call. Mm. And I think that over the years has come because even though you're dealing with. Um. And this comes with maturity. Even though you're dealing with this kid right now and the fight's on and it's something drug-related or some robbery or whatever, his mom doesn't want him to be there. And that was one thing that stuck with me. So, And, and you see yourself like all people are bad, all people are bad. You see yourself going down that path. Mm, yeah. And every once in a while, you had to read that passage and say, hey, you know, even his mom is innocent in this because she didn't have a child to have this done. You know, right. so that was really big for me is just make just you, I try to keep that that there are innocent people that are in this world in, in these situations.
2: Do you find, Chris, that uh, now that you've, you're 20 years into this, that it's easier for collectively for police officers in general to talk about some of the stuff that happens and open up a little bit more? Or is it still pretty closed?
1: Um, I think I I've, we have these guys. I've, but, uh, I've guys learned a force
3: in general.
2: Uh,
1: I've I've learned that I can make a mistake, or I learned that I can do something, and I can talk about it with these guys. In general, they're they're making it, they're offering it more, and I think it's coming more and more prevalent. I don't think it's quite there yet because you still have the us and them. Like I can't go talk to so and so because then they're gonna you know then they're gonna go tell the chief, and then I'm gonna be put on leave. And you still kind of have the us and them because it is still just it is new, you know. But I see it more and more. I think what they're doing is, is they're going outside, whether they're getting counseling or talking to other cops or other people in other departments, too.
2: There's a notion that, like, if you're just a, if you're completely outside of this world, you never had any family members in, nobody was in the military, that a lot of the guys that were jerks in high school went, became jerks as police officers. They were the football guys and wrestling guys that picked on people. They were bullies. And then all of a sudden they're police officers now, and they're just doing it for for. You know shits and giggles. They're pulling people over and doing stuff like that. I'm curious about like because you to me you guys seem like pretty normal dudes, but I can't imagine that the uh, the force doesn't have a, a little bit of everybody. Um, I'm curious if you've if you've seen uh, yeah, Scott. I mean, I think those any, kinds of people. I think any police
0: department you have a little bit of that with everybody, just because um, it's a competitive nature of what we do. It's an alpha kind of thing. You know, you you want to you you see yourself as a person that comes in and takes control of things i mean i I wasn't like that I was pretty just average back in the high school days whatever like I said I wasn't somebody who was geared or planning to be a cop my whole life i mean it it kind of just came a little later on in my late teens early 20 years so it was a little different for me in that sense um, but I think that you you do have some of that um, and but I, we are getting better at understanding each other and put, getting those things out there, trying to work on breaking some of that stuff down. And like Chris was saying, um, it maybe hasn't fully gotten there yet, but they're, I think most police departments, from, and we know the three of us from all these years, we know people from all over the place, obviously. And I think a lot of police departments, most of police departments, are getting better at trying to get that out there that people can reach out to people or they have things available to them. Do you guys like call
2: that. each other out when someone's not uh, we do. doing something? 100%, you guys do, but like 100%. within, you know, I don't know how much of the the whole force feels like a team, but <laughs> do you guys say, dude, that was a, you know.
3: There's, uh, there's a dynamic in certain spots and places, like within the SWAT world, it's instantaneous. Like you do something wrong and even if you didn't do something wrong, they're still on you and it's like like a brother and sisterhood, things like that. Like we have just recently incorporated Thames medics, which are firefighters that are medics that will come right into a scene with us. And we have found that, you know, they're not so different than we are. They act a lot like we do and they do the things that we do. I think there are some things that have happened in law enforcement in the last few years that really helped build for the isolation for patrol officers. One of the things that we've done too that I've never been a fan of is twelve-hour shifts. Mm. Twelve-hour shifts is like you work for twelve hours, which your day really is like a fourteen to sixteen-hour day, and then you're off for two days, and then there's another shift you never see. Like when we first it's got like hired. nurses, seven to right, seven, right, and, and, yeah, stuff, yeah. and yeah. you've got like I joke with guys, but I was like, "Oh, what pirate ship are you on?" You know, this year, you know, that's everybody is out there trying to get their thing, but it's all in competition with each other and the shifts give you a better little maybe quality of life issue i guess i don't know what people saw in it but i never saw the continuity of knowing more days off right yeah and if that's what you want to do go be a fireman i mean because that's what they do they get more time off but we our work requires a lot more camaraderie and teamwork just because of the pressure of it and vigilance
2: i would imagine you've got to be constant it's i think if you're a, a firefighter you're hanging a lot of the time yeah. and then when you're on a call you're in but oh, you guys right. have to be on all the time and it bleeds
0: over into your personal life right. all the time right. that right. hyper right. alertness all right. the time and you can ask any cop anywhere that's been on the job for any significant amount of time and what they do when they're out in public or how you know how they act or the things that they're constantly right. sizing people up all the sure. time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. And well, Jason, it, it's Jason right. Bourne in the diner. And you right, saw yeah. it last night. When we went
1: out. When yeah, we, when we met. I'm like, yeah. you got that door. You got that. Door, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're eating ravioli. Yeah, right. I, I, was, I had I, all the my, doors <laughs> first
2: of all.
0: <laughs> my family will sit down. We'll go to a restaurant, and they before everybody, they my family is actually conditioned to know where to sit at sure. a table in yeah. a restaurant. I'm always looking at the door. Sure, I mean, I've made them. You know, I've I've gotten them crazy about it, just like I am when we go into these
3: places. Facing the but, exit near the kitchen. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: And and that's it's just a. It's not a necessarily a bad thing all the time but it's just yeah, it's just part of our job and
3: people look at it like I'm not saying this we're not saying this I don't think any of us this, feel sorry for us because it's what we do it's just what you become part of it like I'm not saying like oh my god I feel sorry for me or I'm saying this is just what happens to you you get conditioned for a certain thing because even when we're off duty there's an expectation if we're there and we're a police officer there's an expectation Constant for vigilant. us to do something if something goes wrong if it was if it's found out Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. If it's found out that if I was in the middle of something that could have resulted in people being harmed in a significant way and I did nothing, I would be. I mean, some way, shape, or form, I'd pay for that, whether my agency couldn't do anything to me. But socially, I would be ostracized, you know what I mean? Uh, Sure. And and that is the way. Off-duty cop does nothing. Right, Right, right. 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 And then I I represent every person that does the job when I do nothing. You know what I mean? No one else gets that. And on-duty cop gets sued because he did something. Right, right.
1: And and I think that just goes back to your question about, you know, all the jocks and all the people coming that, you know, that were bullied or whatever in high school. I think that leaves the same thing because in regards to what gets out in the press, the majority sure. of us, the majority of us are there because we want to help people. We have a purpose. But right. You get the jock that does, you know, who wants to prove whatever he does, or some kid that got, you know, a swirly when he was in high school and whatever. That's what <laughs> makes the That's what makes the news. Not yeah, you're the dating cop, yourself. Yeah. Not a lot of high school right. swirlies <laughs> happening these days. I mean, you're not You're not going to get the cop that saved a baby from sure. You know, from choking. You're going to get the cop that didn't do anything. Right. Or the bully that beat up the little guy.
2: That's what you're going to get, yeah, but that's you know, a whole
1: different show,
2: and we will cover that. We have a lot of cool topics planned for this um, uh, the the vigilance thing is a whole show in and of itself I think' Absolutely. we're, we're going to do a show on situational awareness and and right. what that feels like um, for everybody, especially now, excuse me, especially now with what's you know what right. this world is um, that that the notion though um, actually one thing I wanted to ask you was um the difference between military training and police training, mm-hmm. when you got to the police, what did you notice that you thought, God, you know, they could improve upon this a little bit, or this is so different than how we did it.
3: One of the biggest things that took me getting used to was that uh, the military is a team environment. You have to strive to work within a team. If you don't, you understand that the weakest link in that team can get everybody destroyed or killed or in big, big trouble. Um, Uh, You know, when I came to the police world, it's you work alone a lot and you get comfortable working alone. But when you're in the training world for a while, you see guys that came from teams like, oh, you must have been in a drug unit or something like that. Or canine officers, they come to training, you don't know anything about them especially from other agencies, you're like, you know how to work in a team, and it's with another living thing. Like CPD has, or Chicago, has two-man cars. A lot of bigger municipalities have two-man cars, and you see that dynamic. You have to get used to working together where the vast majority of police officers in America work alone, Mm. and then they make some really dumb decisions alone too. Like you're putting yourself at unnecessary risk to watch the situation spiral out of control because you felt you needed to intervene at a time, and you have to make a decision in a split second to do that, and then – the call becomes, now I'm not just getting there. If I'm the backup, I'm now not just saving a citizen, I'm saving an officer. Hmm. And then that loyalty and that dynamic builds into the equation. Like we do training scenarios where we have purposely, we put an officer down to see how the team's going to react to it. It goes off the rails rather quickly because people are torn even in training. Hmm. They know it's fake blood. They know it's munitions, not real rounds. And guys are like, what do we do? And we got to the point where we're like, make a decision. Drag this guy out of here so other people can get to work because everybody's passing this individual and getting caught up in that moment and becoming like hyper-responsive to everything. Their force is now off the rails because they're freaking out about what they saw. So to me, we have to be better at putting officers in stressful situations to maybe get there and go, do I need to engage? What's the better thing? Like, It escalates... Uh, uh,
2: I guess what I think I heard you say Was in the military There's a almost a gradient escalation Unless something really hits the fan right? right there's right. a gradient of escalation But then sometimes in the police force it, It's digital It right. goes from it's like instantaneous. zero to lethal and right. it didn't need to like right. there could right. be some steps in between right. that uh, could have right. de-escalated and
3: stress inoculation is a thing that the military i thought did really well whether it's just getting screamed out in boot camp and having a, mm. you know, to do a hospital corner on your bed the idea of stress like of the two worlds that i've seen we had a lot of success with bringing police officers is former military and former athletes they understand that athletes understand the pressure of performing in front of a group of people and they're being mocked by people that have done nothing to do any of the things that it's expected of an athlete. Right. Like my son's a goalie. Oh, you stink. Well, you've not done anything that a goalie's (laughs) ever done. Right. And he's nine by the way. And then he's nine. (laughs) And yeah, (laughs) he's nine. And the, like he just rolls off the ice and he's like, yeah, it's part of it. Yeah. But they become very competitive. Like on a call, it's like they got to win because it's about (laughs) winning in that world. where the military world teaches you to suck it up a whole lot more. But the pressure that you can deal with is a lot greater because everything's been pressure since you walked into boot camp to your unit, to what you're doing in combat, to being away from your family and all that pressure. Um, But they at times become very like, "Ah, this is all BS, like this is all you know, Mickey Mouse crap that I got to do as a cop and you get a little callous and these guys have squared me away in that. Like I came in and was very direct with people. Mm. I was like, this is way we're going to do because this is what I'm used to. <laughs> right. And Scott was no. like, hey man, you're <laughs> no. never going to get any informants <laughs> no. if you talk to them like that. You're just no. their dad, you know, <laughs> you know another jerk <laughs> off in their life. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's true. And it took me a little while to come off of that, but that vinegar and honey is what we talk about. And I'd say stress inoculation is probably the biggest single thing that I think officers need more of because it is what helps you Harden in a situation where it's not going to compete i mean our engagement distances in the military like if you're at 300 meters like 300 yards yeah they're going to be making oil paintings about you someday right. you know, things <laughs> right like that. as right. police officers you're literally <laughs> an arm's distance away <laughs> yeah from yeah the yeah thing that could That's turn hilarious. on you in a second and they look like you they just acted like you you've seen them out and i've got to be able to turn on a dime and be able to go i'm trying to help you now you're trying to kill me i have to do something to stop you from doing that and now i have to help you in that situation and it's really much more intense on the police level than it i think ever was in the military because i had this device called the united states air force that when it got too crazy right. it was they could just yeah away. yeah it's it a <laughs> yeah. trillion dollar organization like I got four bars yeah. the yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> can you take care of that for me over there and 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 then and again that's how it works but when you're alone showing up to a call and it's your job to make it right like scott said uh, sometimes you're going to make some crazy decisions if you're not really properly inoculated to it. The
2: yeah. The athlete thing, um, sorry, I just gotta, give me one sec. The athlete thing is really interesting because it shows up in the entrepreneurial space all the time. Right. Um, the, people, the people that can handle criticism and are driven to get better. Um, I was just teaching somebody to play a, a new sport to them, and they were so uncomfortable with learning it that they were like, making fun of themselves and the own time I'm like, don't worry about that. You can look silly, right. but an athlete would never even think like that. Right. They would just go, where do I step? Right. You know, right. they just right. go, how do I, like, right. it's okay right. to fail for a while. Right. They just don't have that that same self-conscious right. nature. And they're super coachable,
3: to be honest. Super they're coachable. They're used to that from the very young age, especially the more competitive they are. They, they can respond really well to it. But sometimes when you're on the street deal with me, like, hey, it's not about wins and losses. Yeah, year. yeah. Sometimes we're just trying to fix like, this. Right, right, right. Right. Are we and, say, stop?
0: and the training thing, I mean, that the training thing we talk about all the time. And Sean is a master of this stuff. And the but it is that training. If you if the more situations that you can get put in those stressful type situations when you're training. You can make mistakes there. That's the whole idea. You, make, you you learn from those things if you do something wrong, and we debrief it and go over it and talk about it. So hopefully you don't make those kinds of mistakes. You know, Again, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But the more opportunity that you have to have those situations presented to you um, gives you a better base of knowledge of, wow, this is how I feel. Even if it's just paint rounds that are getting shot at me, this is what it feels like to be in a situation where someone's shooting at me in a hallway or this is where someone's coming at me with some kind of weapon or or I've got two people fighting and now a weapon comes into play, something like that. And you can handle those in a training environment. And again, we all go home at the end of the day and we learn from it and whatever, but the more of those things that we're able to do better equips us to handle those things for real out on the street.
2: Is there such things as, uh, like if you wanted to be a good quarterback in the nfl you can go to a a separate quarterback school outside while you're training and work with some master quarterback is there anything like that for the police where you can go to a third party to learn more advanced and and more thoughtful uh oh yeah tactics or anything like that well for me um we don't train our own canine units i go
1: outside so we go to a third party but i mean there's all kinds of stuff and sean to be able to speak more on this but you know whether it's Um, self-defense tactics or whether it's firearms and stuff there's other people that you can go to you know go to learn and and bring some of that stuff back to maybe we can use that
2: right you can go with a couple of guys and say let's go do this thing and and come back right yeah we don't
0: do all of our I mean not all of our training is in-house there's a lot of training that you can go to outside of and we're able to attend a lot of that stuff and those are
2: those things that you Some know, guys are the, more willing than others, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to date myself,
1: but I was at one of the very first classes where they um, had under their gun, under the firearm lights.
2: What is that? Oh, what do you mean? So oh, like when the gun's mounted below your right. weapon? Yeah. Instead of having to hold a flashlight? Oh, right. Do that cross thing you see right. in the movies? Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. No more, doing the, I'm, I'm doing the cross with yeah. the. Yeah, it was a really the
3: weird class because they made you shoot cigarettes out of people's mouths. We had two matches in our past. Yeah, interesting. And then we
1: brought
2: that into. You know, over here, right, right. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Chris. Are you of the three? Are you on the street more than these guys, generally, uh, like the day to day? Scott and I are both ma- about no, the, you're you about the
1: same. About the same. Well, he's. I mean, I, a boss I, I do a little more. Time stuff, I do a little more administrative right, stuff. Right. That's why I was times. asking. So, I mean, I'm on the street mostly. Uh, so time wise, I guess.
0: Yeah.
2: One thing I want to talk about, just in, in a general sense, I'm going to go around the horn on this one is the the danger element and when you wake up in the morning and you think am i gonna lie in my bed the same bed tonight um i'm curious about the lens you look at every call through a call comes in and how do you interpret it through this filter of training and self-preservation for me i mean when you hear the call, one of the things that
1: people have to realize is when I get a call, you're getting information from a person who's probably getting it from a person who's giving it to a dispatcher who's giving it to me. So when you're trying to filter that, you have to just you have to go with what you, what you have at hand. But every call I go through um, is at the end of the call, everybody's going to be as safe as they possibly could. So what I do is, is I play what-if scenarios all day. It, when I'm in the car, somebody jumps out at me, you know, I make a left, I go to right, I go the wrong way. So I always, what, what if, but the one thing I do when I do this every day is I make sure no matter how mad I am, I kiss my wife and my kids and they know, and I make sure that when I get the call over the radio, I listen to the detail and I run the scenario, how I'm going to do effectively get through this call at, at, to, to get out alive and it always goes to shit and the plans never what you thought in your head but at least you're going in with a plan that you're you're, right. you're thinking there's a plan B hopefully <laughs> <So laughs> that's and that's really how i you know and and i get scared every traffic stop every domestic every weapon call i get scared and you and you have to process that cuz you have to overcome that fear and that's how i do it just by having right. a plan it may and not that's work.
2: training to hopefully get you over the the fear right right so, you, you, uh, you know, you and I will talk about traffic stops in another episode, but right. you talk to me about how you approach a car. And, and every one of those steps you take is to mitigate the risk of someone pulling right. a gun out of their, you know, between their legs and right. blowing you away. Right. So um, this this <clears throat> I think maybe that's one of the biggest lessons of anybody listening to this. that's not a police officer involved in it, is that everything you do every day is dangerous. There's a danger element. You don't, most of us don't have to go to work and think, Oh, we could not come home today. Right. It's not a thing. And all of you guys have to do that every day. So that's a, I mean, just that, that pressure in and of itself, obviously you don't want to think that way. You want to think like, you know, but you have to, but you have to, right. Um, Scott, do you have a, a perspective yeah, I on mean, this? It's,
0: it, it is, it gets to be part of just what you do. I mean, you, you come to work, you put on a bulletproof vest, and you just you don't think about it anymore. You know what I mean? I put on a bulletproof vest. I'm actually coming to a job where I'm putting something on to make sure that it stops bullets if I get shot. You right. know what I mean? But, again, after all these years and all these things and, and again, maturity, that stuff too, you, you start to not think about it as much. Because like, if, if you were thinking about that every day, if that's just in your head every day, you're, you're going to make yourself nuts. I mean, you just can't. You know that you might face a challenging dangerous life-threatening situation or you might go days months years without having that happen but to chris's point you're you're running those scenarios through your head um i do some training at, at a police academy and that's one of those things that you're talking to these younger newer officers about is listen have a plan if this what you're doing initially is not working have a have a plan b always be thinking whether it's traffic stops whether it's being on a on a call and don't get complacent the biggest thing that happens to people in our profession is over time you say i've done this i've done this thing a hundred times a, a thousand times and i get complacent and i think hey i i know this person i've dealt with them before and the five times that i've dealt with them before they're always cool with me but today might be the day that it's not or taking somebody for granted that you wouldn't typically see as a threat yeah, there's a nice car in the driveway right. Or whatever. You don't, right you yeah you 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 let your guard down and that, and unfortunately a lot of times that can be the thing that that makes that situation turn bad and just the personal you know angle of it too when you're talking about how when we're going to work and doing the things that we do every day i talked a little bit before you know mentioning about just the maturity and having a family and how your life changes as you move on down the road you know with a lot of the things that are going on in today's police world and and things that are happening to us, you know, I, I find out and I don't hear them directly from my kids, but I know that my kids are going to my wife and telling her that hey, they're scared about me going to work. They're scared about what happens. They're smart. I mean, they're in high school. They watch TV. They they they're familiar with current events. They they know what's going on out there in the world. And even just recently having. An incident where somebody that was is of my son's age that knows what his dad does for a job made some just ignorant comments to him just about me, not even really knowing him or knowing me but just because of my career choice so you've got now the stress that we deal with going to work doing the things that we do, but we you know we work through it, and that's our job but you don't you start to learn and hear these things that are happening to your your family, your spouse, your kids, whoever that they're feeling some of the impact of what it is that you do for a job, so it's it's kind of a lot to to take in sometimes
2: yeah, and definitely the the uh, perspective of the job has shifted over the last thirty forty years to the right. to society. Um, it dawns on me that a lot of the fear was probably drilled out of you in the army because you are used to having this team. Around you, yeah, and now you're yeah. you didn't have a team for a while.
3: I'd honestly say that the citadel did a good job of that for me. Like it honestly did. Like that was just, nine months of you know the plebe system fourth class we were called knobs they just day in and day out of the idea of like you were just it's flattering yeah (laughs) right exactly Um, sometimes we still call them yeah right um (laughs) but it was like that's what kind of made you go like oh well you know i'm not dead yet so i guess i can keep going you know what i mean that kind of a thing and and that really helped in a lot of levels so the army in a lot of ways was like kind of like oh this is nice it's actually you know you know i can talk to people and People didn't like me because I was a lieutenant, and it deservedly so. But uh, it kind of helped with that. One of the things for these guys that they're in the middle of it. Like, I'm not working the street every day. I have worked the street in seven years. Like, I train, and I, you know, try to make it as realistic as possible. But we listen to the radio, my partner and I. He is a great dude, and he and I, like, listen to the radio sometimes, and we just look at each other like, remember what it was like when we first got hired and they rolled up the sidewalks at 9 o'clock at night? Like, these guys are going on calls daily that would have sustained us as cops for six months at a time. And they're right. constantly having the mental health related issues, the violence, the anger towards the police. Everything is like, everybody's freaking out COVID and all this other nonsense. Everybody's living isolated. And this absence of things in our lives is filled with negativity. Yeah. And they're constantly going to calls that seem like, my God, this is hot. This Everything's aggro. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. And yes. they might not see it. Cause they're like, they're used to working with it but when you take a step out of it and you come back and hear it again you're like wow this is way different than it used to be like even in our town which has a great reputation for you know safe living and things like that it's a totally different world than it was the 20 years ago when we got hired and we really really had to dig to find things as cops like if you were looking for crime and what we consider you like credible it's like now, in a lot of ways, just falling out of trees for people just because of the nature of what's happening. And we own some of that as a profession. We do. Like, over the last few years, like since the 90s, we've brought in a lot of police. We've done a lot of things to address crime, things like that. But we've not done a good job of educating the masses about why we're doing what we're doing, how it affects your quality of life. Um, you know, because
2: I said so is not a good enough <laughs> right, answer. <laughs> right, exactly. right, right. right, not anymore. Not anymore. Not no, it's not, but that's not, what it's yeah, right. been. Yeah. You,
3: but to your point about the military, like when less than 1% of the total population is actually ever doing it, you can't go into the world and expect people to respond to that. We get a lot of respect for veterans. We do, and it's great. Don't get me wrong. I would never want to go back to what these poor guys in Vietnam had to deal with. But the bottom line is, is like that's a very small portion of our society that deals with that level of respect the rest of the world is about giving you the middle finger you know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. And, the, and the more angry they get about things being taken away from like covid the angrier people are with these guys as a trainer i don't see it I my customers are those guys they have to deal with the product of basically our society right now we live in a very divided society and we i think as a profession have not read those tea leaves very well as how we can be better representatives of good government as opposed to just being you know, whatever they call us, you know, at times like we need to do a better job, I think, of educating the masses to what we do, because when you do that, people appreciate it and they really do respect you.
1: Well, and that's one of the reasons we started this whole podcast is because that's what we want to educate the masses and we want to get the masses input from what they see so we can better educate them because it's just not there. And again, like you said, because I said so it doesn't cut it anymore. It's not your dad. Yeah. You know, saying do it because I don't you know, do as I do as I say, don't no, do as I do, I do type of thing. Right. It just doesn't cut it, you know? And it, it's, you have to explain to people and just, they are not getting the
2: education that they need in the, in the world we're in. Yeah. And I, I mean, and like you said, with excuse me, especially with COVID, like everybody's, angry and broke and horny and pissed off like <laughs> right, it's right. The, it's, everyone's basically <laughs> right. like a 15 out, year old so boy right, 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 right now right. Right. like everyone in society is a 15 year old boy right now right yeah i'm playing call of duty <laughs> right. at the same time <laughs> right. so you just go so what how do you walk into that firestorm right here yeah. every day um so we <clears throat> we're gonna wrap up this episode one but i'm gonna go around the horn again chris if there's one thing you could fix about the police force what would it be the one thing i would fix
1: is educating the masses so they can see our
2: perspective of it okay but what about from from internally what would you fix instead of like telling other people they should learn more what would you fix inside the police i think the organization? One thing I, the one thing i would fix hand,
1: hands down would be that you've got to listen to your your partners like if you're on a call and enough's enough enough's enough You've got mm. to listen, or you're not going in there. we got to wait for another person. Um, we, could, we could actually leave right now. This is not a crime. I think mm. we, we have to listen to each other. I mean, we listen to the public every day, and we listen to every single detail. But when it comes to listening to each other so you don't take that extra step, you're like, what? Right. Who are you? I think right, that's right. what I fixed, listening to our own. What about you, Scott? Well, to the thing when you're talking
0: about COVID and things like that and how that has changed our um, – just changed things in for everybody's life currently the mental health stuff that goes on out there and the the mental health problems that people are experiencing and who you know how a lot of this mental health stuff has fallen on the police world whether whether we like it or not i mean we're, we're in the middle of it and we do do a good job but i think law enforcement as a whole has to keep and it's not, the, it's not always the cool stuff that everybody wants to hear, like, oh, mental health, you know what I mean? No, I, I came to, you know, chase people and do fun stuff right. and make traffic stops, you know what I mean? But that is the reality of it. I mean, we, we are dealing with it quite a bit and unless something majorly changes. So I think just as a whole, it's something that we kind of have to accept and have to learn as just another thing that we're going to train and, and be better at and dealing with those things, how we're going to handle it.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I read something that didn't even dawn on me, but you guys probably see it all the time, which is um, the people that are in domestic violence situations now are locked into domestic violence situations. And they yeah. weren't before. They could get away. They right. could go somewhere. And now I'm like, I actually took in a friend that was in a situation. I said, just just come here. Right. Like, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. But, you right. know, It's a really... The, the the tension right. of not only each individual home, but right now of society is really something. Absolutely. Uh, what about you, Ferg? What would
3: you t- uh, you're talking t- to a trainer, so <laughs> I would say more training. Keep um, it to one or two. And the the training that we do I think has probably been most effective was a guy that I met from Canada I went to a class I mean you're a SWAT guy you get to go all these cool classes like you know using fire as a weapon and crazy stuff like Sweet. that <laughs> rappelling <laughs> and things uh-huh. like that and, yeah, it's really neat <laughs> everyone should you're, be SWAT yeah you're <laughs> right? traveling all over the country you get to do the, these stuff guns and things Sean like that. bringing the flamethrower again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the <laughs> best the car. by the way that's going to stop anybody <laughs> You know, <laughs> all right, yeah, here yeah. You're, we're good. Well, that's a little bit excessive, I'd probably <laughs> say. Um, but the the best trainer I ever did was a guy named Ken Murray. He's a Canadian, and he came down. He was never a cop, and he had us do like scenario based training on a level that I was like. Oh my God, everything we do, like we talk about in a classroom, should be applied to a scenario-based training mm. situation where there is feedback given to the organization and saying, consistently, when we're in these situations, this is how we see officers react, whether they're demeaning or whether they're not listening. or they're, whether. And it's not just about me hitting a target. It's about how I interact with people. And there's not enough of an appetite in our world for that right now. People say they want to do that stuff. People don't really do it. But this guy, Ken, was great. He was like this guru This like... Canadian serving.
2: you say people you mean officers like there's not enough appetite for that kind uh, of training that
3: and and the brass because again like think about the big three auto industry like everybody that moved through that industry came from working a line so it was all like inbreeding so as you move through the organization if you've never been exposed to good training How do you know good training if you've only worked in one place for 30 years? So that appetite for that and that feedback and that desire why we got to do this over and over, we can't just do it. We did that. We did that like five years ago. Mm. Ask a quarterback if he throws a pass one time in five years if he's going to be able to do that very well every Saturday or Sunday, and we don't do that. We do it once a year, and we go, yeah, good enough. Scenario-based training is what stresses these guys out and makes them think. I've gotten more – and cops don't compliment you on anything. You're never a prophet in your own land as a cop. <laughs> Nobody takes you seriously. <laughs> hey, you are. but I have. They're never been, like, oh, that was awesome. You're the best. Man, you know you're looking a little fat. Sean. Thanks a lot. We put a lot of effort <laughs> into this. Jeez. Um, right. But right. the, right. the, the, idea, the idea of that is that <laughs> I've never received more compliments from our officers about when we do scenario-based training like, Oh, my God, that was awesome. That so prepared me. And they'll tell you about a call. And you're literally like, I, I have the best job in the world. Mm. I mean, These people are so callous about things, but they take the time to come talk to me and my partner and my boss about things that we've done for them that help them better prepare. I just don't think we do enough. And I think we should do it every week if I had my way. And the staffing that would be required for that is insane. But uh, that would be my take is prepare these guys better. Like the sports world is a great place to point to. We're losing the sport world because of the things we're doing as a professional in a lot of ways. But they know how to prepare people for a game. It's a game.
2: Sub package football. Right, they were right, right. individuals. Right, yeah, yeah. Two minute drill, four minute and drill, and you know yeah, all those exactly. things. And we yeah.
3: were like, yeah, you should be able to do everything. And right. you get you get trained on it one time in your career. Right. So it's not enough. It.
2: Right. There's probably not enough funding then. We're talking about defund the police, but there's probably not enough funding to do that. Well, I think it's right?
1: funding, and I think it's time, and I also think it's like what, what the brass wants to do. Like you, to could, you could I mean you yeah, could yeah, do yeah. something. Right. Like I, I, I take people out and train with uh, the dog on, I want on the to go, road. dude.
2: I want to go to all I want to do a yeah, ride along. Awesome. And it's you like guys.
1: 15 minutes. Like you get four or five people together and you do a room entry and you're done. And right. And we do it right on, we do it right. But then when you, sometimes the brass is like, well, we can't split three people for 15 minutes or whatever. I mean, we'll just do it anyway because they, right. they have to know how to work with the dog or they have to know how to work with a scenario
2: or whatever. So that's really, you know, that's where it kind of. Are guys down. retiring before they're getting to the point where they're the brass that would make those decisions? You know what I mean? Uh, like I, I, if you ended up if someone said you're now the lieutenant or whatever or whatever the top dog is, mm-hmm. are you retiring before that happens? Well, because I mean, if uh, you're in charge, you probably have a whole different way to run the system, right? Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. say that like if you I'm just gonna or, or is like the police commissioner different well, than the no, I think well, I mean, again, we
0: only speak to where we work usually, but I think the people in our agency, they're even if they even if they don't have the experience or they, you know, whatever it is, they are willing to make sure that we get that training. None of us. Are they starting to listen us, more than they have, were? I, yeah, we we we're, we're very focused. I think so. I mean, yeah. I, I think we've gotten a lot better with our training. They, yeah. they,
1: they, they they just have to. They have a fine line because now they have to answer to us, like what we need, and then they have to answer to the um, the commissioners, the city commissioners. And they're like, well, wait. Who, and sometimes those are coming yeah, from opposite ends. Well, and, right?
3: a, and again, we own some of that as a profession. Right. We have not embraced training as we should as a profession because, again, it's like. Ah, uh, do I gotta do this? At the end of it, they're yeah. happy they did, but the front end of it, when they're asking, if it's not me asking as a trainer, they're like, yeah, oh, I mean, like, if, right, it, if right, it ain't broke, right, right, don't right, fix yeah. it. But now we've, we're discovering it's Like growing. everybody
1: picks the last day for training, but, literally.
3: Yeah, the, and the other problem with that is that now training will be put upon us. Yes. It will be put upon us by people that don't know what we need training in. Mm. So. Here's a case in point, and I'm not knocking it, and it's something that we needed, but we had to have training that was basically inherently designed to tell us we're inherently racist as a species. And we sat there and listened to these things, and what happens in a class like that is you sit there and you go, man, I'm being told I'm a bad person. How Mm. do I, like, there was no scenarios around it. There was no, like, how do I prove that I'm not, or any of those things. And then I say, all right, well, let's train this, and we're going to train uh, you're dealing with a subject that wants to kill themselves. So you got to talk them out of it, and you got to do it in a safe manner where we are protected and set and set. Those guys love that stuff, right? When I say, guys. I mean, guys and girls. Right. Um, but. I'd say that if we're not more active as cops in telling the world what we need in training and what they're asking for, training will be put upon us. Mm. And it'll be like. And it won't be accurate. And, and imagine it right. must be like a teacher. Hey, look, if you don't speak up enough, you're going to get Common Core jammed down your throat. You right. And it's not very popular. Whether it's working or not, the same thing's going to happen to cops. And we're going to get training that's more about how do we keep people that are in power telling their constituents, look what I did to make the cops still the line. And it I think doesn't on, really help I think us on with that, that
1: line too. You're getting we need to get more, I guess the word to be educated from the public, what they, what kind of training
2: they think we need. That's what perception is reality. Perception is reality. Right. Right. This is what I I texted you that earlier today with like the scenario of, of the shooting. We won't talk about that right now, but it's like the outside world sees it one way, whether it's because of the media or people just don't have enough information or whatever the deal is, or it's a bad shoot. Like it was just, you know, I mean, sometimes it's, (laughs) it's a lot, a lot of the the time. right. 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 The, 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 uh, I would say from my, you know, obviously I'm not in this. From my perspective, they don't report on the good stuff. They don't report on right. the good right. shootings right. or the right. ones right. that, it's only the bad ones. Right. so What sells? Well, it's not even a sales thing. It's not newsworthy when it doesn't happen. Right. right? So when someone makes the right decision, there's right. no news there. So the question is, and, and we'll leave this for the next show, is what has to be done to to Uh, to balance the scale when things are done well you know maybe maybe there's a a pr team that has to happen on the police force that says hey look here's what this situation was this guy had a gun and instead of shooting his head off he was tweaked on something or he was angry because his girlfriend just slept with a guy and he's not really a killer he was just in a rage whatever it was that we de-escalated it and he's now in getting some help and you know what i mean right. like i right. wonder if uh, and you know it sounds like a pipe dream but i wonder if that is the, the where it needs to go for the public just to understand that like inherently the police force is trying to do good for the community and not just trying to stomp on guys right heads right. Heads right absolutely on, right. you know uh so with that we are going to I, by the way uh you guys thought this was going to be hard that was an hour seven oh, nice um stuff, you thought man. it was gonna be difficult <laughs> but um we're gonna wrap this up uh, next episode we're gonna go big we're gonna talk about the riots that have been happening um, all around the country especially in Chicago and Portland you guys have been working them, and here in your own little town so thank all of you for doing this and thank you guys for listening to Three Cops Talk and one extra dude for the moment but um, yeah we're, we're, this is a pretty exciting time and uh, we're gonna see all you guys uh, next week thank you <laughs>